0: bless you. Now let's turn to the reading of God's word from 1 Samuel chapter 28. I have the English standard version, an excellent translation from the Hebrew originals. I'm going to begin in verse three since we left off reading verse two last time. Verse three, now Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, And he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whoever I shall name to you. And the woman said to him, surely you know that what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud shout, a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, "'Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up?' Saul answered, "'I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams.'" Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me? Since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once, full length, on the ground, filled with fear. Because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. Thus far we read in God's holy word. May he bless it to all who hear, believe, and obey it. Amen. Earlier, as we were praying, we spoke of the month of Ramadan. We're in the midst of Ramadan. It runs for another uh, two weeks, I think, so we're right in the middle of it. The Muslim month, uh, the ninth month of the Islamic calendar, and it's the most sacred month in the Islamic culture. Muslims observe Ramadan. Do you remember why they're, they're doing this? Why they fast all day and eat at night? What's the impetus for celebrating Ramadan? Um, it had slipped my mind, so I had to do my research afresh and, and remembered. What they're celebrating is uh, that Allah gave the Quran to the prophet Muhammad uh, around the year 600, 610 A.D., six centuries after Jesus. Uh, and, and they're celebrating the gift of the Quran. This uh, uh, supposed holy book. The Quran is the linchpin of the ex- Islamic world, you says one, the basis of Muhammad's prophetic claims, the foundation of uh, the Muslim law, and the common denominator among all Muslims around the world. And Ramadan is a time of reflection, self improvement, heightened devotion and worship. And as one source says, Muslims are expected to put more effort into following the teachings of Islam. So they fast all day and then they eat at night. And as we saw recently from missionaries in Morocco, that the streets are bare during the day that once had hustle and bustle. The coffee shops are closed and people come out at night and they just basically reverse their living. Why all this fuss over Ramadan for these Muslims? They're celebrating this book, but... This book cannot do much for them. They're not really seeking truth. They're simply submitting and obeying and practicing a religion. We need to pray for the millions of people that are misled by Islam. And to turn the corner, we need to pray for people who have Bibles in their home and neglect it. It it seems to me that uh, given the history of the United States... Most likely, every home might have a Bible, or a great percentage of homes have a Bible, but how many consult it? How many celebrate the fact that God spoke, God gave His Word, God sent His Son, and His Son sent His apostles? And we now have these 66 books inspired by the Holy Spirit of God given to us, and they're translated into our own language. We have a Bible, God has spoken. And what he has said in the Old Testament, he is fulfilling in the New Testament and today. This word is true. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Read this book and pray that your eyes would be opened. And if you need to know what the will of God for you is, read his book. It may not tell you which tie to wear to church on Sunday or whether you should wear a tie. But it will give you everything you need for life and godliness. If you're struggling in your Christian faith. Be careful not to follow our culture which builds its spirituality on feelings. If it feels right. If I feel sincere. Christianity is based on a historic message. A true message about jesus christ my friends we do need to pray one for another that we would not neglect these bibles that we would read and obey and when trouble comes that we wouldn't run willy-nilly to all other sources of information the bible should be our first place and prayer should be our first priority I mention all of that as, as hopefully a, a, a positive directive at the beginning of an Old Testament story where someone from the people of God does not do that. King Saul, we've seen his decline for many chapters now. We'll, we'll take a quick visit back to chapter 15 in a minute. But ever since he had been rejected as king, he doesn't act by faith. He might have foxhole conversion. Oh, David, I won't come chasing you with my army anymore. And then he does it again. I won't chase you anymore. And then he does it again. He kicks the necromancers and the mediums out of the land. But he turns to them in the moment of crisis because the prophet of God is dead. Saul is grasping for supernatural spiritual guidance while he neglects what God has clearly said. Uh, Is is there another message I can find? Let's pay attention to God's word when we need guidance. Let's look at the uh, events of uh, 1 Samuel Twenty-eight and this trouble with Saul and the visit to the medium at the city of Endor, the little village of Endor, under these three headings. First, the test of distressing times, what provokes his panic, and then the tarnish of his desperate measures. Uh, he brings shame upon himself in Israel by what he does. And thirdly, we'll look positively at the truth of God's revealed will and what Saul should have been doing. First, the test of distressing times. Uh, It it was kind of like the perfect storm. It's near the end of Saul's life. He'll be dead by the end of the book, just a chapter or two away, the death of Saul. As we learn in this chapter, he'll be dead the next day in battle. And we'll come to that story in due time. But what was distressing here, first and foremost, was the presence of his enemies. The presence of his enemies. When enemies come close and camp right in front of you, they're hard to ignore. And this was the full uh, display of Philistine armored strength, their chariots. And they weren't meeting in some valley or on one hillside. This wasn't a border skirmish. If you have that map in the back of your Bible or you pay attention to where they're gathering, it's the Valley of Jezreel, wide open plains, and they're up in the breadbasket. Not the breadbasket, but the central area of Israel they had penetrated deeply. They only have to take a turn uh, to get to the river Jordan and then swoop south into Jerusalem if if they wanted to go into Judah. The presence of the enemy on the plains of Jezreel and Saul is afraid. He is very afraid. He hears they're coming and he's afraid. And then when he actually sees them, Saul is is to the north and they're to the south and he's on uh, 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 he's on the side of the mountain at uh, uh, Gilboa. And he has a great view, verse 5, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines it was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. Saul was a warrior. Remember, he stood head and shoulders above most of the Benjamites when he was chosen to be king. He had killed his thousands. He wasn't a slouch. And he's afraid. He's never faced a foe like this. What are your fears? Who are your enemies? You see an email from someone who's always been a problem to you and that that emotion rises. Oh, something's going to be challenging here. A very small example. Or the troublesome person at your workplace. Or someone in your family tree that always rocks the boat. I'm afraid we, we keep too many lists of enemies and we don't make peace as we should. That would go a long way to limiting the number of enemies if you just made peace with more. Here, Saul is opposed by these uh, godless uh, Philistines. Interestingly enough, David is with the Philistines. We'll get to the rest of David's story shortly. But he's there and he's filled with fear instead of faith in God. Well, faith in God is hard when you come face to face with enemies. No, faith in God is possible. As David would later write, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David had seen it. David would write it. Perhaps even before the book of Psalms was composed, David had sung that very thing for Saul when he was in Saul's service. Saul's not thinking of that. Or just looking at his geography, the Valley of Jezreel against a great enemy. Has God ever done anything there to deliver his people? Yes, you can read the book of Judges, chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6, the uh, who was it? The uh, Midianites and Amalekites, they both joined forces and Israel's really in trouble because they're just getting ransacked. God raises up a man named Gideon and a very supernatural military deliverance on that very field of battle. And Saul would have known about that story. But Saul's faith is broken. It's not functioning. He's not looking to the past blessings of God. He's not remembering the word of God. He's not walking with the help of the spirit of God. Faith, on the other hand, faith leans upon the Lord's past victories when present struggles appear. That's what faith does. But Saul's is broken and not even present. So his distress is from the presence of his enemies. Secondly, his distress is from the absence of his mentor, and and mentors kind of a stretch. It's really the prophet of God. But in the early days, Samuel was a mentor to Saul. You can see many times that Saul would sit willingly and want to hear what Samuel had to say. Saul was instructed, but Samuel has died. We were told that here in verse three, where we started reading, and it happened, and, and we read it back in chapter 25 verse one. When it happened, it was told to us. Here, it's, it's reminding us that Samuel is dead because it's increasingly drawing the picture of why Saul is so distressed. He doesn't have that pastoral voice. He doesn't have access to the word of God through a prophet. And that's very distressing. There were no more sermons to listen to. Poor Saul. Saul. And finally, the most distressing thing of all, if we were paying attention, is found in verse 6. The silence of God. He didn't have Samuel, but he said, okay, okay, uh, I got to do something here. And and perhaps he was fasting because he hadn't eaten, we find out later. Um, He inquires of the Lord, and in verse 6 it uses the covenant name of God, Lord, all capitals in our English. The Lord did not answer him. He didn't have a dream, and sometimes God spoke through dreams. If you remember the, the early days, no dreams. The Urim and the Thuman, the, the, the items that the, the priests would cast and interpret for giving direction. Why, why didn't the Urim and the Thuman work? Well, if you remember, Saul had killed all the priests at Nob, the little city of Nob. He had them all wiped out. One escaped, and he's with David. It's kind of like Saul had, had had burned his bible and now he wants to read it but he can't. The Lord did not answer him by dreams by the priests or by the prophets. The silence of God is real and profound. God had pulled the plug on Saul. Saul, I'm done with you. I've given you plenty of opportunities to listen and we're done. And there'll come a time when you want me and you're not going to have me. It's too late. You're locked out. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 13. I need to make a pastoral clarification for you. Because you may be sitting wondering, what if the Lord is silent to me? Am I cut off like Saul? Am I I unsaved? Am Am I lost? What's going on? Sometimes God seems distant and you feel forsaken don't even raise your hand if you've been a christian any length of time you know that experience you're not alone many of the psalmists have known the silence of god not permanently but for a season there are many reasons for it and i'm not going to spend much time on it but i want to say this and use psalm 13 to do it how do we tell the difference if i'm like saul or if i'm like david if I'm God's done with me and I'm under his judgment, or it's just a season that God is using for my good, like David. Here in Psalm 13, we have David asking these very questions and answering them. How David responds to the silence is the help. Here's the help. It's a very short psalm, th- Psalm 13, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? See the parallel? David's had silence. The heavens are like brass. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? There's a parallel. David continues, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation." I will sing to the Lord because he had dealt bountifully with me. Those last words are expressions of faith. Even before God answers, he says, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I'm still with you and I'm going to wait upon you and I will rejoice in you. The key difference between the Saul experience and the David experience is that the Christian still pursues God. The Christian still pursues God. Don't give up on God. Remember the words of Peter when many people were leaving. Jesus says, you guys want to leave too? And Peter says, Lord, who else can we go to? You alone have the words of life. The silence of God is distressing. And poor Saul, he does the wrong things. He turns to desperate measures. And it's shameful and it's sinful and it's wicked and it's dangerous. Let's make that clear. Let's look at what he does first before we get to the witch of Endor. What does he do first? Well, he's too hasty. He does not wait on the Lord. He gives it really one verse. I tried everything. Find me a necromancer. Find me somebody who can speak to the dead. I've got an idea. He does not wait on the Lord. He may have given it a day. He hadn't eaten for a day and a night. I waited a whole day for the Lord. He didn't show up. You know, that's what... Saul had that problem. Samuel said to wait for him. And previously, Saul did not wait for the servant of God. It's a hasty, superficial move. It's the last minute. He's not waiting upon the Lord. There's a beautiful passage I'll I'll mention to you. I don't know if you'll have time to, to turn to um, Isaiah chapter 8. Something about uh, waiting on the Lord. And I was in Isaiah 8 because it speaks about... Uh, Listening to mediums and necromancers. But in in Isaiah chapter 8, there was a coming threat of an Assyrian invasion, and the people of God were waiting on the Lord. This is what Isaiah is saying in in chapter 8. The Lord spoke to me thus with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy um, what this people calls conspiracy. I should skip ahead here. He does say... Um, let him be your fear. Let him, the Lord, be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling uh, to both houses of Israel and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Um, Verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. Isaiah 8, verse 17. Affliction, dangers coming. The godly will wait on the Lord and remain faithful to Him. Others, though, in Isaiah, just to read on in chapter eight, uh, they will say, "Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter." When they say that to you, the Lord says, Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they not inquire of the dead? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? No. And Isaiah comes later in history. It, uh, it's well after the time of Saul. But this is the way the godly think. We have God. We should wait upon him. And to turn to these other sources is to listen to chirping and muttering. I think it's Matthew Henry who said, Saul does not listen to the word of God, but he does stoop to hear the muttering voice of a medium. Some lady in a hovel that he's going to give a few shekels to, and he's going to listen to her as opposed to remember the word of the God that that was delivered to him. You can see that it's a, a desperate measure. He's not waiting on the Lord. He's turning to a sinful source. And while we're talking of waiting, let me remind you of a precious verse. I texted it this morning to my good friend, Ed Reed. I said, Ed, how thankful I am for Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall walk. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord. That's the first misstep of Saul here. Then the second one is pretty big and pretty vivid. He turns to a sinful source for information. (laughs) He conjures up a medium. And I say that uh, ironically. We were told in the text here that we read in chapter 28, after the death of Samuel, the narrator put in a comment that Saul had gotten rid of all the mediums and necromancers. He had done something to, to get rid of these people from the land because it was prohibited in the law of Moses. These people, he could die. He could be killed for using this technique in Israel. He'd gotten rid of them, but when he needs one, his people know at the drop of a hat where to find one. So <clears throat> the reality was Saul's leadership wasn't working there and uh, the, the country was still in dire difficulties. And he turns to consult uh, the occult He tries to commune with the dead. And it's wrong. Leviticus 19 verse 31 says, Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out. And so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Do not. I think that would cover seances. Things that we think, oh, that's silly. Or that's just simple fun, party fun. I think there are implications here for playing the Ouija board game. Talk to me if you have questions about that. These things are off limits. Alistair Begg, the great uh, Scottish preacher who's ministering in Cleveland, said at this point about, about Saul's decision, he said, listen, if I can't get an answer from heaven, let's try hell. I'll go to the dark side. That's what Saul it's shame, Shame. And he knows that it's, it's wrong and it's shameful. He goes in disguise. He doesn't wear the royal robes. He doesn't give her a royal pardon and say, let's do this. No, he knows it's wrong and shameful and sinful. So he turns to this witch, this medium of Endor, raises the question. Does she have real power? Samuel appears. And and how did we know it was Samuel? Did you see the key little word there? Uh, I see an old man. He's coming. Yeah, yeah. What else? I see the robe. And at the mention of the word robe, uh, Saul starts quaking, right? Saul knew it was Samuel. Why, Why would a robe trigger that off? Well, if you remember the birth of Samuel and his mother Hannah, made for him at different seasons as his body grew a special robe. Samuel was known all through the land for his robe designed by his mother and in the the stages that he would have. I'm sure she made him one last one before she passed on and that's what he was known for. Saul, that's the key, that's the description. It's evil though It is Samuel that speaks. It's Samuel's language. We'll talk about that in a bit. But how is it that he comes to be in that little hovel at a witch's invitation and at the seeking of Saul? The text does not condone this, and the text does not say she made it happen. She inquires. But there are two things that tell us. I think that she does not have the power to bring this man up. First is her scream. Uh, She is startled. How was it phrased in the scriptures? The woman saw Samuel. She cried out with a loud voice. As if to confess with her scream. This has never happened before. There's really someone coming. You know, she's not thinking, okay, he wants to meet his mother. Okay, I see an old woman with long hair and she's winging it fakery There is a real supernatural world. There really are demons in this world and the devil is at foot and he can mislead the vulnerable and he can meet with people and do all sorts of crazy things. I'm not denying the reality of the supernatural world. I am denying that this woman has any power to summon Samuel. I don't think the text shows us that. She screams because she didn't expect it. And the second thing, it comes from a a preacher, a commentator named John Woodhouse. He says, it seems far more likely to us that the Lord sent Samuel to Saul, even as on a very different occasion, the Lord sent Moses and Elijah to Jesus. The, the, The Similar thing, someone who is passed from the land of the living is it alive with the Lord appears on earth to a person I think that's what the Lord is doing here but not for the comfort of Samuel but for the confirmation of his judgment as we'll see Saul's desperate measures he does not wait in the Lord he turns to a sinful source and he treats God with contempt he gives this oath to support his sin You see when the the witch says, I can't do this, this is illegal, we could both be killed because of Saul. He says this oath. And it tells you a little bit about his theology and what he thinks of Jehovah. Verse 10, Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. What is Saul doing? He's saying, don't worry, I swear by Jehovah that if you help me disobey Jehovah... and and, and turn to this evil source, no harm will come to you. Is he praying God's blessing upon his sin and his conspiracy to sin with this woman? How awful, how deep is his decay and depravity in this moment? Saul, do you even hear what's coming out of your mouth? You might as well go home and say, Lord, Help me, uh, uh, help me as I plan to rob a bank. Lord, help me as I plan to attack my neighbor. Lord, it's, it's, it's up in that category. It's obscene. It shows that Saul has only a utilitarian theology. God is useful for when I need him. I got an army on the front door. I got to find him. Anybody got to, how can I find God? I got an army. I need some help here. People, come on, find me a way to get to God. Well, we can't do that. Well, I'll I'll say God bless and we'll do it anyways. Desperate. Folly. Doesn't sound anything like Psalm 13 and David's waiting on the Lord, wondering, looking at himself, but clinging to the Lord. Before we move on, I I hope and, and don't think anyone here would be consulting mediums or necromancers. But it may be that we copy Saul by making God our our utilitarian vending machine. Lord, I need an answer. I need it now. Uh, Oh, I don't like that answer. Do you have another answer? Or you ask God to bless your own will. Not thy will, but mine be done. Distressing times. The crucible of a crisis reveals what's really going on in you. Thank God that he sends these things so we know where we stand. We see where Saul stands. Let's look finally at this heading, the truth of God's revealed will. What was here? That should have been helpful. What was here to reinforce what would have been the right measures? Let's look at three words here. Listen. First, listen. In verse uh, 17, as uh, Samuel is called up and Samuel begins saying, you know, what's going on? Why have you disturbed me? Um, he's, and, Sam, and Saul says, oh, I've got this trouble. You've got to tell me what to do. Samuel says... Verse 17, the Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. You haven't been listening. You should be listening, but you're not. This is where we turn back to 1 Samuel 15, for those two verses that tell us what Saul did or did not do and why he's in trouble. When he didn't com- commit to following the Lord's word and he did it his, his own way, the prophet comes to confront Saul. And Samuel 15, 22 and 23, Saul gets to the, Samuel gets to the heart of the matter, the problem in Saul's. And uh, these are worth reading has the Lord as great delight in birth offerings and sacrifices Saul does he delight in in your plan as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice to listen than the fat of rams Saul you've got it all backwards instead of listening to the Lord you came up with your own ideas and you want God to listen to you And interesting, many years ago when this happened, verse 23 also says this, the prophet continues rebuking Saul. For rebellion, your sin right now, Saul, your rebellion is like the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. God had spoken. Saul desperately wanted guidance and help from the Lord. God had spoken. The great speech of Samuel in his farewell address said, Fear the Lord and obey him. Here, when when there was an after action review, the prophet of God rebuked Saul and says, Look, you're doing what you think is best and that's not what God wants. The Lord had spoken to Saul time and time and time. And time again. He should have been listening. Samuel here just repeats what's already been revealed. You have the word of God. Obey it. And there is a time and a place to obey it. Is there not? The verse that we put at the top of the. uh, Worship bulletin each week. Begins with these words from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord. Lord. While he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will freely pardon. Saul, you need to listen. Repent and obey. So the first step here would be listen. The second step is obey. There is no substitute for obedience. That's what Saul had found out in chapter 15. That's what he hears afresh from Samuel here and now. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out. Do you obey the word of God? Or, or do you do it selectively? Selectively. Many people have heard of the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson thought certain parts of the Bible weren't really accurate or helpful. So he took a pen knife, you know, that pointy thing you would craft a quill into a pen. And he excised certain verses from the Bible. At least he's being up front. Yeah, I don't believe that one. That one's coming out. But let me ask you. You know what God requires of you. There are some verses that are particularly hard for you as there are for me. Do we offer a partial obedience or a wholehearted obedience? As we sang earlier, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, so take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. God wants a single, wholehearted obedience from His people. And don't be fooled. God is not an absentee parent who might not notice. God sees and knows even the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. As a man sows, so shall he reap. The word of God. May we tremble at the word of God. It's what our land needs. There's no substitute for obedience. The truth of God's word revealed here goes one step further. As Samuel speaks in verse 19, there's some new information. Saul, you should have been obeying that, but here's something new. And it begins with this word, moreover, um, in verse 19. So he's adding something. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. Time's up, Saul. Tomorrow you die. And it's a great defeat for Israel because of you. There is a coming judgment and Samuel speaks about it. And it's 24 hours away. By this time tomorrow, you're done. Saul hears this new info, but he does not call on the name of the Lord. He does not plead. He falls on the floor, prostrate on the floor. He's a basket case, he's helpless. The woman takes pains to feed him and try to give him strength, try to give him comfort, maybe give him a last meal. She's heard what Samuel said. And she doesn't just bring something from the cupboard. She takes the the animal that was kept on hand for important occasions and kills the fatted calf, makes bread, and gives him a feast. A feast really fit for a king, but as Alistair Begg says, for a man who wasn't fit to be king. God can feed you in the face of your enemies. But, oh, Saul, it's your last meal. Saul will be judged. The verdict we get, there's parallel historical accounts in the Bible. If you didn't know this, in addition to 1 and 2 Samuel, there's 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, and these books uh, often overlap in how they tell and report the story for different audiences and with a different focus. In 1 1 Chronicles 10 we hear this verdict on the life of Saul. He will be judged. And this is what uh, maybe the obituary or the final report says. First Chronicles 10, verse 13 and 14. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. That's the verdict. A lack of faith. He did not really seek the Lord. He was religious. He tried to use God. He didn't listen or obey. Very sobering. May we listen, may we obey, may we be aware of the coming day of judgment and accountability for us. Let me close with these three words in addition. The first is hear, hear the word of God. That's been plainly asserted. The word of God is key to you walking the Christian life, to you knowing God and walking uprightly before him. You can't do it apart from God's word. You need to have daily, regular intake of God's word. Not just your favorite verse, but you need to read widely. Perhaps you've never read the story of Saul and the witch at Endor. You've heard it today, and it can help you. Read the whole counsel of God. Hear the word of God. Secondly, fear the silence of God. When God uh, doesn't answer, when he doesn't feel close, that is a time for you to spend a little more time in prayer. On Saturdays at noon, I pray on Zoom with several pastors, and we've been doing that for over a year now. Uh, I'm so thankful to have 15 minutes at noon, or 12 minutes at noon with uh, a bunch of different pastors. One pastor texted me, says, I'm spending the whole day in prayer. I won't be logging on. It's a guy I respect, and now I know why. He'll take that extra time. You know, it's fun to get on Zoom and you see each other. And there's a little chit-chat as well as prayer. So it's still praying, but it's fun. But he was staying the course. We need to wait on the Lord. We need to cultivate the meditative life. And if there is any silence of, from God, may it get our attention. If you're reading God's word and it doesn't seem to be blessing you, don't lay it aside. Pursue it all the more. Get help. Speak to the elders God has given you, other Christians. Finally, trust the Son of God. I wanted to end with an emphasis on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Saul is not the Savior of Israel. David is the helpful king that comes, but David is not ultimately the savior. It's the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. And from some words in Ephesians 2, it reminds us that when we are in desperate times, he is the one God has provided. You'll see the perfect fit here. Let me read from Ephesians 2 as we close. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without god in the world maybe that's someone listening maybe that's someone here i don't have god i don't have hope in the world listen god sent his son verse 13 of ephesians 2 but now in christ jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of christ For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man, so making peace, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Jesus is the solution to our crisis. The things that frighten us, our enemies, our need for peace with man or peace with God. We have access to those things through the Lord Jesus Christ. Pursue him. Trust him. Cling to him. And he will cling to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, both the Old Testament and the New. We thank you for your spirit who gives us understanding of your word. We pray, Father, that we would believe and obey it. Father, help us to hear it. May your word conform us to the image that you want us to look. Conform us to the image of Christ. Father, may we not cut and paste from your word and treat you as our servant. Not my will, but thy will be done. And Father, especially in crisis for myself, Or my friends, call us afresh to your word. Let the ministry of the Holy Spirit be with those in crisis. That our faith may not fail, but hold fast. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.